Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to another episode of Book Club. All right, Jonathan. All right, Mike. So we're in our last bit of the salesperson's secret code. The final furlong, as I always tend to say at this stage. Yes. Uh, and so for those of you that haven't listened to this bit, basically somebody's take, done a study on the characteristics of top salespeople. They've then broken down the characteristics into fulfillment, which we've spoken about, control, resilience, influence, communication. And then chapters seven and eight that we're going through today hold quite a lot of promise, actually. Chapter seven is unlocking your code, so measuring yourself against the criteria. Yeah. And chapter eight, which I was very glad to see, is lessons in management and leadership. Because I think often we have these sales books and people don't, or the authors, don't tell the managers actually how to use it. Okay. You look like you're daydreaming about something else at that point. No, I was thinking... But do you not know think, though, I think often we read these books and actually there needs to be a section on how is a manager going to implement or use the information that they've just been given. I'd be interested to know how many of the people that listen to Book Club are in leadership roles versus... I'd be interested that. Are Cambridge Analytica still going? We could have found out, couldn't we? <laughs> well, have you watched that documentary on Netflix? No, I've not got Netflix. And it's I a good night in that. I probably couldn't be bothered to I mean, watch it's it. all a bit bleeding obvious. They got loads of data. They demographically spliced and diced to the nth degree. And then they manipulated people with very, very clever targeting with data that they got out of Facebook. I can't believe people were so surprised they were doing that. <laughs> and the reality is they had an inordinately massive influence on both Brexit and the I can't believe people were surprised Trump. that they were doing that. How is that a shock? It's like the fact that in five years' time, it's going to come out that e-cigarettes are bad for you. Well, yeah, obviously. and that mobile phones are killing us. Well, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to the book. So it starts with a very quick summary of the, um, so of the destinations. So 232 does this really cool graphic, Pricey. It's a good summary. That's what I'm on. Love it. That so should what have been in the first chapter, that. Yeah. Absolutely. And what it does, it's a really, really, really good graphic. That's the graphic you should have on your wall. They should agree, make yeah. they should actually make PDFs of that. Yeah, I agree. So what it basically does is it gives the splits of what the research has brought out in between the key destination beliefs. So on fulfillment it says thirty eight percent fear, sixty two percent desire. So you know, let's get it right, fulfillment. 38% of it is I don't want to fail. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 62% of it is I'm going after my goals. Control, victim versus hero. 78% of it is the hero motivation, but 22% is victim. Yep. But we meet those. We've talked about that to the nth degree. Resilience, work hard versus work smart. Well, actually, yeah, 41% of it is graft. They paint the left-hand column in a very negative light, don't they, with their graphics? A man pushing a very big, heavy ball up the hill and a gorilla looking mean... Yep. versus a Swiss army knife of a human being. 
which is quite a cool little graphic actually. Uh, and then lightning versus thunder. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's a great graphic. Actually, if you cut that out and just kept it, almost as little ready reckoner for you thinking, is, is my, am I on top of my game here? Yes, I agree. I think that would be very, very useful. So um, what they're talking about is really how to how to implement the secret code, aren't they? They are, yeah, very much so. And there is a test, salespersons-secret-code.com. Oh, I've not looked at that, actually. And I did plan to do the test, and I haven't actually done it yet. Um, maybe I'll do that, and we'll do a little addendum. Um, so what they're talking about here is modelling. Now, I've got a bit of a thing about this. Go on. So this book reads like somebody has got an NLP practitioner manual, looked at the opening chapter, which is the presuppositions of NLP, and then basically used them in relation to um, salespeople. And okay. modelling is a very... So it's little things like no failure, only feedback, meaning of your communication is the response that you get. They're all effectively... If, you, if I showed you my NLP practitioner course book, that's like the opening 10 key presuppositions of neuro-linguistic programming. Okay. Right? And then we, what we're getting into is... In, very key NLP technique, right? Which is what modelling. Modelling is a key technique. So, did you see the um, the graphic on two three eight? Then is that how it works? Graphic on two three eight. Yes. My issue with this is, it's quite a complex process. Is modelling? It's partially NLP practitioner level stuff, but actually a lot of real modelling is NLP master practitioner stuff. And I, I, I get it. I'd be interested to see how many people will do a really good job of genuinely modelling on another person and how many people will have the patience to do it. Now, actually, yeah, it will work. But I, what I actually wrote was go out, spend money and get a real coach. Do you think that the environment can model people? I think we can model viral osmosis. That's what I mean. That's yeah. why top sometimes top companies just end up being top companies because culturally they become a model for I those think we're sales join. snobs because we speak to so many salespeople. Yes. So you and I have often worked with organizations where they are a model of a top business. Well, they're a cult as well, aren't they? Thank you. Uh, how many times have we dealt with companies where we've said that's a it's not a company, it's a cult? There's lots of those out there. And the, and lots of the extent of modelling is incredibly powerful. People become models of the core leaders without really realising it. And anybody that's not prepared to become a model of the core leaders rapidly self-selects and exits through discomfort. Yes. Don't they? Yes, so they do. I get it. I think it's an interesting process, you know, and it's a process worth trying but I'd be interested to see how many readers really can do it on their own. Well, I mean, he talks you through it on page 241, trying on new beliefs. Yeah, and then the whole concept about belief change. <sighs> belief level change. Get a coach. Get, get, get an NLP. Yeah, I know you said that, Johnny, but not everybody's going to go out and get a coach. No, but I'll tell you now. Oh, and the, no point, by the way, I, I listened to this on audiobook. With respect, authors... At no point has it said, don't do this while driving. 
You know, mod- no, they shouldn't have to say that. Yes, they should. I'm not against legal disclaimers at all of that kind. I think just don't be stupid. It should say yeah, at the start well, of every book. Uh, doing that properly I can is make an you sleep with Paul process. You know, he's got to say don't do this whilst driving. Yeah, so I, I get it. And I think it's worth trying. But my advice would be to anybody, if you really, really wanted to model yourself on a top performer, if you really wanted to tick, tick that, take those key criteria, a couple hundred quid with a really good NLP practitioner will make a massive difference. Whereas I think you won't get the results doing it on your own. Well, surely you're going to get some result. Yes. And it's better than no result. I concur. For those of you who don't want to go balls deep on 200 quid. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And and that is actually chapter seven. Yes, it is. He talks a little bit on the um, modeling thing, a little bit about environment. Go on, where's that? Oh, I just, I don't know, further on, further back in the chapter. Um, and I tell you what's interesting is we interview a lot of candidates using video and we see into their home office. You learn a lot. Oh, don't you? Just see into somebody's home office. You can pretty much put them in a category of earnings the minute they switch the video camera on. And I'm not talking about how big the house is. You can just tell, can't you? You meet somebody that's got junk everywhere. You do that, don't you? You think, right, you not going to be lot. a top person this. You learn a lot. So chapter eight, the secret code, lessons in management and leadership. You liked this chapter, didn't you? Uh, I thought it was a very important chapter. Okay. Uh, I tell you what's interesting. The first thing I underlined, page 247. What is the distance between my team's individual motivation balance and the optimum motivation balance demonstrated by the top 5%? Very useful. I highlighted that. I highlighted it, but I did put actually how much change... Can a manager have on a person or should they have on a person? Well, I, I, you know my theory. I don't think you can get that much change. Plus or, plus or minus 5%. And, and the plus or minus 5% isn't worth the time laboured that you spend trying to get it? Invariably not, no. Having been there myself, you You've can normally to... create a plus or minus 5% behavioural shift on any given criteria. For lots, And that takes lots of energy. But by and large, particularly once past the age of about 24 if fundamentally there's something not right, if fundamentally they're a lightning guy or fundamentally they're a fear guy and not a towards guy. You're struggling, aren't you? Yeah. You, as a manager and as a, a coaching manager, you, I don't think you can get more than a plus or 5% shift in behaviour and thinking in any given direction or any given criteria. Now, what I actually added here was it's got three points. I added actually four. The fourth is interview correctly in the first place. Oh, God, yeah. And it sort of doesn't mention that. No, and actually part of this should be a clarion call for this is the basis upon which you should be interviewing people. Yeah, correct. And it doesn't mention it, which surprises me. Because if you actually get somebody whose resilience level is low, then they're going to they're gonna be a wet firework. Unless they're suitable for your market. Yes. There's going to be some markets where the resilience level doesn't or, need to be high. Or, for example, if you're a market leader, you've got loads of incoming leads and the volume of incoming leads and therefore pipeline is such that they don't need to worry about their resilience level. Correct. If you've got somebody who's not a particularly good thunder level or thunder level communicator, that might be all right if actually you're pitching a low level product. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're on a trade stand and you're pitching kitchen knives, who cares about being a Thunder listener? Yeah. Get a lightning guy. My mate sells food to schools. Yeah, he's not bothered, is he? 
No, he's a lightning guy. And that's what they want. Here you go, mate. I've got turkey Twizzlers in this week on a special. You know. What was this to say? Yeah. Does it? Yeah. So I, I do think it, it, you, as a coach and as a leader, it is interesting how much belief change you can get. Actually, you're better off just getting your hiring right. But we, we so. would say that. Why? Because we're correct. <laughs> well, we're kind of in the business of helping people get their hiring right. Um, and then uh, we get into the whole concept of a wellspring of insight that explains for the first time why nothing, not strong branding, product advantage, keen pricing, inspirational training, transformative coaching, or ingenious sales methodologies can propel a salesperson to greatness if they don't believe certain things about themselves, about their customers, or about selling in general. And I think that is so true. Any sales manager and leader reading this book will be able to cite examples of salespeople in the company who are consistently successful. Yet in the same instant, those same managers and leaders will be able to think of people who are selling the same product or service and have similar skill levels who just don't seem to have the same belief either in themselves or their offering. Do you remember that lad that used to work for us who was a bit of a, he sort of shuffled along the floor? Oh, yeah, yeah. He just didn't believe in himself. No, he didn't. He didn't believe in being a tough that. He had quite a tough home life, I think, with his wife, who gave him a lot. I'm not saying this to be comical, but I think she gave him a very hard time. She was a bully. Yeah. And therefore, I think that chipped his confidence just in general. But he didn't believe that he was a salesman. He's not a salesman. Actually, his job is recruitment fulfillment coordinator. Yeah. And so he struggled in our environment where he had to do new new client generation because he didn't it's believe not so much it was that, that I heart. think he struggled in our environment because we deal with salespeople who want to deal with the identity of a salesperson. Yeah, and, and it all comes thought, back to my, my my pet, my little pet soapbox about identity. Yeah, correct. And about people believing and seeing themselves in the mirror and saying, I am a salesman. Well, it's important in our market. I'm sure in other markets yeah. where you're not placing sales. But, you know, if you're placing lawyers... They don't want to deal with the salesman, do they? I wouldn't have thought. I don't no. know. And they, then they salesman. go on and they give a really interesting example about how Leicester won the title at 5,000 to 1. Now, if you've listened to the audio version of this, it, it, I think, no disrespect to Ian Mills, Mark Ridley, Ben Laker and Tim Chapman, you obviously chose the cheapest audiobook reader you could get your hands on. Some American guy who refers to Leicester City, um, which did make me chuckle. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it's mentioned, and then he keeps mentioning it, Leicester City. Uh, um, but the reality is, yeah, Leicester City, they won the title because they believed. Yes. Absolutely. And it's amazing how you can actually make, create belief. It might have something to do with the fact that some of the other teams were a bit pants that year as well. I don't know. We're not getting into football. But so then we talk about the, uh, they, they've put their destination beliefs in a circle recruitment, control, resilience, influence. And we talk about each of the different ways of tackling each of those different components. As a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I know we can talk about that if you want, but you can guess what it's going to say, really. Go on. Well, I was saying that to listeners. I don't know, did you read this bit? Yeah. I, I just didn't really buy into it that much, if I'm honest. Why not? Well. It just felt a bit obvious. Take the fulfillment destination belief. If a manager creates an environment of command or control or of admonishing people every time they step out of line or telling people instead of asking questions and engaging with them, then we have the perfect environment for driving people towards an intensity biased in favour of a fear or failure. Yet it may drive people to hit their sales targets, but as we have seen from our top performers, they will fail to engage with behaviours which come from holding the belief. It, it, I just didn't feel like it was taking me anywhere. 
Fair enough. Well, not much to the chapter left. So what do you make of it? Right. The book. There's actually some useful stuff. Um, in Appendix A. I did read Appendix A. Yes. I thought Appendix A was in many respects part of the best best part of the book. Um, so that's well worth reading. That it was a Original research revealed a range of factors that motivated the 500 low-performing, 500 high-performing salespeople. And what they say is it, it um, is in alignment with a famous um, study by a guy called Spranger who published a study called Types of Men. So it kind of, um, in many respects, just adds a little bit of credence to, to the original research, um, but then takes you into a whole separate set of paradigms. Um, with, it takes with, you into a different model that looks remarkably the same. Yes. It was, a, it was very interesting. And then we get a final bit on our code breakers. Ian Mills, Mark Ridley, Dr. Ben Laker, Tim Chapman. And then there's bibliography at the end. I'll tell you what I make of it. As with a lot of the books that we read on Book Club, some of them are practical guides. How-tos. Yes. And some of them are credibility primers for the sale of a service or solution. This book falls into the latter. It certainly is a credibility primer. If a client rang me and said, I'm struggling. What am I going to do with my sales team? We're thinking of bringing in some external consultants. Yep. Can you make me a list of people I should talk to? I haven't met Ian Mills yet. We're going to meet him to interview him next week. I'll probably add Ian Mills to the list. Okay. As a book, if a candidate rang me today and said, Johnny, should I read The Salesperson's Secret Code? I'm going to say yes. I think that outside of the fact that I cannot stand the stuff written about the Iconics, outside of the fact that some of it's rubbish, the central premise is actually extremely, the a nice model. It's extremely valid and extremely important and useful as a way of thinking about your own game in a way that's a little bit bigger than just am I asking open and close questions am I doing this, am I doing that yes it's a, it's a 3000 feet view of yourself so can I say so that's my the, the, the rigour of the research right yeah so they've done all this research on these people and they came up with the following secret code of salespeople. Fulfillment, control, resilience, influence, communication. Yeah. That's what they think are the characteristics. Don't you think it misses some quite important characteristics? Of course it does. So why, where were they in the research? <sighs> what about integrity? Yeah, okay. Ident but the one that I feel is truly missing identity. is Identity. So then I reflect. That's, that's the one that that for me is the ball dropped from so my, from my own informal study. Yeah, identity yeah, is exactly. Very and key. then so I look at it and think to myself: Should somebody read it? Yeah, I mean, let's get it right. You're never worse off for reading a sales book. Never. You never. And worse I'm no off. worse off. I'm not a lesser man for having read it. No. I'm a slightly better man for having read it. But I, and I do agree with you. I think the way the models put together is nice. The destination belief and the journey motivators like that. Yep. All good. I still missed a couple of key things. And in fairness, I know that nobody's ever going to write a book in the way that I want to read a book because it's always five times longer than I want to read. Fourteen ninety nine in hardback. But if you can as get... Tony <laughs> Robbins would, as, yeah, but as Tony Robbins would say, you know, 
what, what are you going to do? Not spend £15 in it. Of course. And not try and get better. Let's get it right. It's £14.99 for two or three hours of learning and reflecting about your sales career around a framework that is actually spot on. Yeah, it's not going to be bad, is it? It's a spot on framework. And actually, if you, sp- if you were sat by the beach in the next couple of weeks and I happened to chance upon you on holiday and you were reading the salesperson's secret code, I'd think that guy's up in his game and he's going to go back from his holiday and he's going to up his game. Correct. Personally, if you said to me, that or combo prospecting, I'd say, go out and buy combo Yeah, but they're very different though, aren't they? Because v- combo prspecting is bang very for your buck. Ta- tactical. Let, let me tell you now, if you had two salesperson, salespeople sat, on, sat in Ibifar <laughs> over the next few weeks, one goes out and reads the salesperson's secret code, the other one goes out and reads combo prospecting, they both turn up back to work the day the kids go back to school. And, and you said to me, which of the books will have had a greater impact on the two? The geezer that read Combo Prospecting will come back in and smash it. But that's the difference, though, isn't it? Money. This is designed for rimless spectacles, Radio 2 listeners. It's a bit Those more two people aren't going to be on holiday in the same place. <laughs> They're not, are they? Why not? This person is on a walking holiday in Wales. He's on a, <laughs> it's a, a bit... walking holiday in Wales. And I like Wales. Let's be clear. You know I'm a big fan yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's a bit more intellectual. A bit more highbrow. High a bit more strategic. Don't get down in the weeds. Mentions some academia. Slips a few allusions to the Harvard Business Review. Correct. Whereas to- Tony Hughes has got blood on his knuckles. Yes, I think Tony Hughes probably earned a few quid as a salesman. Yeah, and that's why, therefore, my advice would be, yes. I think it depends what you're trying to address. Go on holiday and read both. It? But I'll, I think t- but I'll tell you what, if there was one or the other, that's where I'm at. But like I say, they've obviously done some interesting research. the author because the I can't o- wait. Because the authors are always out of it, don't they? They always bring an awful lot to the show. Um, and they always bring an awful lot to what we've learned about the book and the research. And it'd be really interesting hearing more about the research next week. So tune in, because next week, is it Ian Mills, Lauren, who's coming on the show? Ian Mills, uh, who is the first of the one, two, three, four authors of the book um, is coming on the show to tell us a little bit more about the book and some of the thought processes behind it. And I'm looking forward to it then. And at that, Michael and I bid you, oh no, no bidding adieu. What's our next book, Lauren? Never Split the Difference. Never split Isn't this the guy difference. been written by an FBI interrogator? Uh, negotiator. Negotiator. Right. So uh, on the recommendation of... James. Yeah, James, we'll just leave it at James. Yeah. Yes, for, for confidentiality basis. Um, we're reading James Richards, uh, 31 Swinnerdale Drive. <laughs> it's not really. Pri- 31 Privet Drive. <laughs> I think that's where Harry Potter lives, isn't it? Oh, um, that's what I was trying to think uh, of. Is it Privet Drive? Yeah, Privet Drive. I'm pretty sure of it. Um, I don't know the number on Privet Drive. Um, never Split the Difference is our next book on Book Club. Looks interesting. Looks really interesting. Look out on LinkedIn. We're trying to get the author on the show, but he's a little bit big time. Um, so whether he shows up or not uh, is a different matter. But I think it's going to be an interesting diversification from some of the books we've been doing. Cool. See ya. Cool.